Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including gathering times and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by a guest speaker. Good morning. That ambiance, though. Well, hey, uh, thank you for being here, and uh, welcome to those who are on live stream as well. We're so excited that you're here with us this morning. A couple of things before we get started, um, we'd like to make you aware of. First is we have some missionaries uh, that we support here, the Vernons, who are actually out in the lobby. So if you like to see what they're doing, I think you saw in the announcements, uh, they're coming from Southeast Asia. And so if you want to meet them, pray for them, support them in any way, um, please go out and meet them. They'll also be at our Spotlight on Missions event, which is on Friday, July 22nd, from 6 to 8.30 p.m. Next, we're going to show you a couple of photos of our ESL Thai team that has been serving over, actually is serving at this moment in local schools. We commissioned them in May, and they've had the opportunity to teach over 600 students in outdoor and indoor groups, classroom settings. So again, we ask you that you pray for safety, endurance, and opportunities to share the gospel in those places. They're serving alongside Debbie Vick, who's another international worker of ours that we support and love. And lastly, our Thai deaf team from Deaf Ecclesia will be leaving around the 28th of this month, so we ask that you pray for them as well. Well, let's get started. As you know, we've been going through our sermon series that Rob started us off with. The Bible says what? And in this sermon series, we've been wanting to go over obscure passages that have questions and bring up confusion. And hopefully we can alleviate some of them. And in some ways, we might bring up more questions um, in that process. And so, uh, and before we start, what we've been asking every service to do is to stand up, if you would, with me, as we read 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17 together. And it says, All scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and to make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. Amen. You may be seated. Uh, what we've been doing as well, we, we'd like to bring a, a tool of the trade for interpretation and to understand these obscure passages. So what we've been doing is asking you to fill your toolbox. Uh, Rob mentioned last week about paying attention to the context, being able to go backwards and forward to understand what's right in front of you. And this week, my tool of the trade is commentaries. For those of you who don't know what commentaries are, commentaries are uh, literature that's specified to a specific book that focuses on the historical background and the literary structure of any particular book to help preachers, those uh, who just want to know more about the Bible, and also scholars. 
Those come in all shapes and sizes. Uh, we got from the spectrum of pastoral, inspirational, to technical and scholarly. So if you want to learn more about what's available, what are some of the, the tools that you may be using, and what commentaries are good, I can talk your ear off as long as you want. So feel free to do so. Well, hey, let's get started. C.S. Lewis once said, what you see and hear depends a good amount on where you are standing. It also depends on the type or sort of person you are. When you consider these images as an illustration, you'll see this first photo. What is that? Is that a man child? When does the man and kid begin? Or does this kid just have a large nose? These are what we know as optical illusions. We'll see here, what is the architecture uh, of this building? How do people sleep in there? At first glance, our eyes take some time to discern what's actually going on behind these photos. Some are easy to detect, while others take a little bit longer because our minds can just not compute an alternative solution. Many suggest that our ability to see one image over the other has largely to do with our perspective, or even the person we are. Uh, we'll see this next photo is a photo of a zebra, two-headed zebra. I have no comment on that. You can just look at that and see whether there's two of them or just one. This next image you might be familiar with. In church, I ask you, what is this? Is this a duck or a rabbit? Shout out your answers. <laughs> no, it's not both. It is definitely a rabbit. No, I'm just kidding. Okay, this next one uh, might have been the most divisive thing in our country. Is this dress white and gold or is it black and blue? The obvious answer, it's black and blue. Um, we know about tests that are done by therapists um, who show a person an ambiguous and meaningless image, usually an ink blot. I don't know if any of you are familiar with that. The purpose being that whatever this, the meaning the person ascribed to this image would reveal something about who that person was. Perspective shapes our reality. And silly as this may be, perspective and who we are actually influences the deeper questions we have about life. What do we believe about justice, politics, hospitality, or even what is the best Mexican food in Salem, Oregon? <laughs> Our beliefs on societal norms are influenced by the cultures we were brought up in and who we are and what experiences we've had. Perspective heavily shapes our view of reality. And with that, there's a critical perspective to consider. Suffering. What is our perspective on suffering? It's the ancient question. What's the truth that allows us to hold on and persevere amidst our sufferings? And to ask an even deeper question, what is the perspective God wants us to have in order to discern the truth in our sufferings? I believe this is a similar question being asked by Peter's community in his first letter. And in the passage that we'll be going over this morning, Martin Luther once said, 
A wonderful text is this, and a more obscure passage, perhaps than any other in the New Testament, so that I do not know for certainty what Peter means. Man, gotta love that encouragement for myself. A couple months ago, we as a congregation read the Apostles' Creed together. And as we stood, we read this particular clause that might have stood out to you. He descended into hell. What does that mean? And importantly, why does it matter? Although the passage we will examine this morning is quite obscure and full of questions, it may even prompt more questions, I believe Peter is responding with a pastoral heart to his doubting community. So if you would, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 18. And we'll go all the way to verse 22. And if you don't have your Bibles with you at this moment, it'll be right on the screen for you. Verse 18. Christ suffered for our sins once for all time. He never sinned, but he died for sinners to bring you safely home to God. He suffered physical death, but he was raised to life in the spirit. So he went and preached to the spirits in prison, those who disobeyed God long ago, when God waited patiently while Noah was building his boat. Only eight people were saved from drowning in that terrible flood. And that water is a picture of baptism, which now saves you, not by removing dirt from your body, but as a response to God from a clean conscience. It is effective because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now Christ has gone into heaven, is seated in the place of honor next to God and all the angels and authorities and powers except his authority. This is the word of the Lord. In this passage, we're promised, and Peter promises his readers, that Christ's ultimate victory, both in the seen and unseen realm, is achieved in his death, descent, and resurrection. And through Peter's words, we will see how our perspective, or the perspective, of first, our sufferings, his victory, and our baptism shapes our reality. So we begin first, our sufferings, intimacy we discover in shared pain. One of the first appeals to the readers in verse 17 is that it is better to suffer for doing good. Why is that? Peter explains in verse 18 that it's because Christ also suffered. Christ on the cross suffered death so that we might have access and restoration with God the Father. It's the gospel message, plain and simple. His sufferings provided a pathway for relationship and deep intimacy. And because of this truth, in the face of persecution and self-denial, we defiantly choose the gospel because in the cost, we discover the value of our reward. As you look back with me in verse 18, you'll see the phrase, bring you safely home to God. As before, Peter's encouragement is that we now have access and deep relationship with God because of his sufferings. Yet this particular phrase has another layer in its meaning. In the Greek Old Testament, this verb to bring or present had this image or often was used of priest 
being presented to God for consecrated work. Using this verb of to bring allows us to see the movement of bringing as not only intimacy in relationship, but also intimacy in shared work. We participate in the office as priests for the outside world, just as Jesus did, allowing Peter to say earlier in his letter, you, you are a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's very own possession. And in the second half of the verse, we see that Christ empathizes with the totality of the human experience. He came down as a man and experienced life as a man and also died like a man. Because in the same way, we will taste death, he already has. And in the same way, he has experienced victory, so will we. Therefore, in the following, in following Jesus, we choose in this moment sacrifice, loss, and hardship for his sake. Because in that space, we not only get to know him, but also experience him intimately. Intimacy we discover in shared pain. But intimacy in suffering? Mm, I don't think so. As you'll see this image above, some of you might be thinking, how does suffering have to do with fast food and AT&T? Well, it has a lot to do with both of those places. <laughs> Just kidding. When I considered this idea, I thought immediately of the first two jobs I had as a young adult. These two stick out in my mind quite well. And for those of you who know me and my personality, these are probably the two worst places for me to be. I am a terrible multitasker. I don't have the woo of sales. I barely sold a cell phone at AT&T. I'm also an introvert, so being around people is <laughs> a little bit exhausting. But what's interesting is these are the two jobs I held the longest. I'm asking why? I'm asking that same question. Well, there's something quite interesting that happens in a place, um, in a workspace that no one likes, a bond and a community formed. Suffering together with others, as minuscule as it might be in a workspace, brings us together, the same old grind, the same old shared experiences, actually grow people together. I think there's something to this. And at a deeper level, we form bonds and create intimacy in the hard places, within the chaos. And it's significant when Peter tells us that Jesus himself is will, willing to meet us in those spaces. So is your perspective moved by Christ's willingness to experience the suffering right alongside you? We get to hold on to this faith, not only because Christ meets us in our sufferings, but also because he has victory over them. His victory. Triumph we possess in shared authority. Okay, 
Here's where the passage gets a bit weird. And so bear with me for a bit. We're going to go underwater, deep water. A large percentage of the debates lie within verses 19 through 20. The questions arise. When did Jesus preach? Where did he preach? And who are the spirits in prison? And probably the question you have, which is the practical one, why does it matter? Here is where I humbly tell you that in the multitude of questions to answer comes a multitude of interpretations. 40 to be an estimate, which could be quite difficult for a preacher. But to be brief, here let me give you three interpretations that are highly held by scholars. First, Christ preaches through Noah. Christ went and preached through Noah in his day to the people in his generation who are now the spirits in prison. Number two, Christ proclaims victory by his resurrection and ascension. Christ ascended into heaven and as it shows a symbolic gesture of proclamation to his final defeat to the spirits in prison. Those spirits being fallen angels in Noah's day. If you want a reference point, go to Genesis 6 to understand that context. And then also, um, if you're really nerdy, you can go to the book of First Enoch to get a little bit more background. Number three, Christ descends into Hades. Jesus descends into the underworld, the place of the dead, on Easter Saturday, and proclaim victory over the fallen angels, again, from Noah's day. Okay, although the, there is a multitude of interpretations, I believe the application is still the same for you and I and everyone in this room. Christ is victorious over all evil. Now listen to me when I say that. Christ is victorious over all evil. Define evil for yourself. There's a lot of it. But quickly, here's one of the reasons I lean towards the third position. The literary background of Peter's readers allows us to see the color of what he's saying. In the ancient Near East and Greco-Roman literature, there is actually a common theme, or a trope if you will, of heroes and gods descending into the realm of the dead to get something to the realm of the living. What's interesting about this study is that many of those gods and heroes actually never made it back. Death was too big to overcome. So then what is Peter doing with this imagery that his readers know so well? In ways, this is a subtle nod and dig, a diss, a diss track, maybe, if you will, of gods and heroes in Peter's, Peter's readers heard about and maybe even believed in. But more importantly, it's a declaration of triumph over the face of what is recorded as one of the evilest of evils, fallen angels. Christ literally experiences the deepest pain we experience, death itself. And in its face, looked it right, at, right in its eye and declared victory over it and redemption over all the evil. So why is this important for you and I? Because Peter makes quite clear, this is our victory. Amen?
the authority of Christ over the powers of the seen and unseen, our most significant traumas, losses, lies we believe about ourselves, have been sealed with the promise of victory yet to be fully experienced. And although its full expression is yet to be realized, we share the authority of Christ in his name. Triumph we possess in shared authority. One of the ways we at Salem Alliance here demonstrate that we recognize this victory is through a ministry we call Healing Prayer. Some of you might know about this ministry. Some of you maybe encountered it. We believe in healing prayer is a, is a process of holistic healing that recognizes we not only combat the lies of the world, our flesh, but also evil powers and spirits. Yes, I said it, evil powers, spirits, Satan, fallen angels, spiritual warfare. When Paul, when we affirm Paul's words when he says, for we are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies, but against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world, against mighty powers in the dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Yeah, interesting, uh, we as a staff have been coming together and being trained in healing prayer by our very own Laura Scherer. And I knew as I was going into the first week, I was like, I am not going to be the guinea pig for this first week. And what ha definitely that's exactly what happened. I was the guinea pig. And I'm here to tell you, as a witness, as someone who's experienced it, the authority of Christ is real over all the powers, not just the seen, but the unseen. And we know that in, our, in the Gospels, Jesus describes his kingdom ministry in this way. To proclaim the captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free. Do you believe you share this authority? I'm here to tell you that authority we share with Jesus is real. And we recognize that its full expression is yet to be seen but even in the in-between time, we hold on and experience foretaste of what soon will be. So we hold on to these truths in tension. Yes, we will still experience suffering, but also Christ has already won. Is your perspective influenced by the reality that Christ's victory, that you have Christ's victory over every aspect of your life? We hold on because Christ meets us in our sufferings, is victorious in our sufferings, and we do not suffer alone. Our baptism, union we share, union we form in shared identity. There's one final obscure question, probably not the final one you have, but one we need to ask. How does baptism play into this text? It seems that Peter's analogy is meant to spark a connection to Noah's day and Peter's community. Much like them, there's a minority group. And also, in the same way water delivers Noah's family, so does water in baptism signify our deliverance and new identity. Therefore, we hold tightly to the reality 
of the first pledge of our allegiance that we did in the simple immersion into water. You've seen it. You've experienced it. We celebrated a new identity, and with that, a new community. James K. Smith says it this way, the covenant binds us together as a community. And if we are a new configuration of a city, we are also a new configuration of a family, the household of God. Thus the practice of baptism is formative reminder that we stand strong because we share our new identity with Christ and fellow believers, both as sufferers and as victors. So is your perspective strengthened by the new identity you share with Christ and his family? Now as you sit here, I ask you, look around this sanctuary. I mean that, do it right now. Look around, observe the faces of what Jesus now describes as your new family. As you do this, consider the manifold experiences all the individuals in this space have gone through in the highest of highs and the lowest of valleys. Realize we do not do this alone. We are only able to bear the hardest trials, deepest tragedies through this community right here that binds itself in the common hope. The hope we proclaim, Jesus is victorious and we await his soon-to-be return. I believe one of the primary ways the first century church preserved, was preserved through heavy persecution was through shared stories and experiences. So here's my application for us all in this room. Specifically, for my senior saints in the room, this one's for you. I ask you to be willing and vulnerable. Share your story to those who are either young in the faith or young in age. Share your story of a healing story, a place where God met you in the darkness, or your victory that God gave you in life. And for those of you who are young, invite and listen, a faithful saint, to share their story. An invitation would be best done around a dinner table. Allow space for even maybe your life group to hear stories of faithful brothers and sisters. Why do this? We're talking about angels, demons, Jesus descending into hell. How does this make sense to share our story? Listen to me as I say this. Because the stories of our senior saints is the oxygen of our youth's faith to persevere. Let me say that one more time. The stories of our senior saints is the oxygen of our youth's faith to persevere. And it is my conviction that our perspective of Christ's victory strengthens as we hear and share the stories of God meeting his people in the highs and in the lows. And with that, we stand with a perspective that is shaped by the truth that Christ meets us in suffering, is victorious over them, and does not allow us to suffer alone. And as I close, as I was writing this sermon, I often went back to the season in my young ministry career as a youth pastor. 
I had a lead pastor, Kelly DeFore, who would always ask me to accompany him in hospital and hospice visits for those, in our mem- those who were in our church and other community members in critical condition. I've learned a lot about God in a seminary classroom, but lessons were not as visceral as those I learned in a hospital room. Faithful saints awaiting to meet their maker with joy rather than fear. What was interesting about these visits is that many would find faith for the first time and others would display levels of peace that only saints of highest maturity could have. As a young 20-year-old, I thought, what am I going to say? What could I say? I don't know anything. Afraid of what to say and how to pastor, who would have known that it would be I to receive the pastoral care? And it occurred to me, or I asked, what are they seeing? What are they feeling? What are they experiencing? It occurred to me that maybe in the mystery of God, much like Jesus descending to the dead to proclaim his victory, so was he meeting these people on the brink of death and whispering his victory and calling them home. One author writes, as we experience the sting of death everywhere, we are also experiencing the relevance of Jesus, promise of victory. In other words, recognizing the relevance of death is how we recognize the relevance of Jesus too. Let us pray. Father, we give our bodies to you as a sacrifice. And we know that in the pains and hardships that we experience, that you are right there, meeting us, holding us, and still declaring your victory. So as I pray for the people in this room right now who have hardships and difficulties that may be too hard to see pass by, would your peace be instilled? Would your victory be shouted? And would we shout, you are our living hope. We love you, Lord. And in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon. And we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit SalemAlliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.